Good morning, Exchange Church. How are you doing? Good. That song was incredible. Greg and Amber, great job. Very good. Today, I am continuing last week's sermon. Last week, I had four points, and I got to the first point. Today, I have three points, and uh, I want to begin with point number two, and, and I will end with point number two. Uh, we will push, push the sermon back a, an additional week. Um, however, before I get to the incredible word that I believe that the Lord wants me to share, I first have to just say that it is February 23rd, 2020, and it is my wife's birthday. Yes, she's not here. She's in Australia. Uh, she is actually... I know. Oh, oh, the picture. I was like, yeah, she's probably missing me pretty bad. Uh, yes, that is my wife, and that's River, just adorable, uh, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. The baby's cute, too. And um, anyway, Carrie tonight will be getting on an airplane, and she'll be back tomorrow night, Monday evening. She says hi. I talked to her last night, and again this morning. I was getting ready, and, and uh, she was going to bed. It was like midnight. Uh, colic has set in with River. For those that have not experienced colic, be glad that you don't know. Micah had it as a baby, and now his baby has it. <laughs> so anyway, I'm excited to see my wife. She'll, she'll be here tomorrow night. She was supposed to get here at 1.20 in the afternoon, but it got delayed. Now she's going to be here at 10 p.m. tomorrow night. I'm going to be one happy man. And I have decided, honestly, with her now being gone three weeks, 20 something days and some change, that I've decided, I've, I've determined that I want to give her more of me than ever before. Seven pounds more <laughs> of me than ever before. That's what happens when I'm left alone. Anyway, I am, I'm really super excited to have her home. For those that are friends with her on Facebook, she doesn't get on social media too often, um, but she did post that she was flying. She ended up flying in the airplane. Micah flew, and she posted some pictures online, and uh, did not know he was going to have her fly the plane. <laughs> yeah, that's stupid. <laughs> but they survived, and uh, anyway, you know, who knows? Maybe he, I don't know. I'm just glad my wife is okay, and she's going to be here uh, tomorrow night. But it's my honor to talk to you today about marriage. Marriage is one of those things that I'm, I'm extremely passionate about. I haven't always gotten it right. In fact, um, if my wife were here, she would echo and say, a lot of the times I've not gotten it right. But what I have done right is I continued to show up. What she's done right, she continued to show up. And so in the continuous showing up, in the continuous saying yes, waking up in the morning and saying, okay, let's do this, let's do this one more day. Let's say yes one more day. You learn a lot of lessons along the way. And so it's my honor to share some of that with you today. Uh, the first question we have to ask is, is marriage still, like, does it still work? I mean, come on, Trey, we live in the 21st century. This is 2020. 20, this is like Jetson-style era. Is marriage still really valuable? Is it still important? Does it still work? And the answer that I would say to you unequivocally, yes, it works. 
100% of the time. It's not a maybe, it's not a 30%, 50%, 70%. I'm here to tell you some good news. If you're about to say, yes, we have one couple getting married in six days, and they were excited to hear the good news, your marriage can have 100% chance of succeeding if you follow God's plan for marriage. If you follow your plan for marriage, there's no guarantees. There are a lot of good people out in the world, and their marriage has survived 50, 60 years. They're not doing it God's way. It's survived, but that's not the norm. But you know what is not just the norm, the rule in the kingdom? 100% of marriages, if we follow God's design for marriage, will not only survive, it will thrive, it will flourish, it will leave a lasting legacy and an inheritance for your kids. When Carrie and I got married in 1994, September 24th, 1994, I didn't know anything about marriage. I didn't know what it meant to be a husband. Certainly didn't know what it meant to be a dad. I mean, I knew I, I was raised in a good home, had good examples, but I didn't know. I wasn't even sure that I knew what love meant. I remember sitting across from my wife when we were engaged and I, I said, how do you know if you love someone? And it wasn't like just a pickup line, so I could then swing in with, because girl, I think I love you. Like, it would have been cool had it been a line, but I just didn't know. I, I didn't know. I, and sadly, even 10, 15, 20 years into marriage, there are moments where I'm, I'm redefining what, 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 is love, what does God say about love? Because I want to love my kids right, and I want to love my, my wife right, and I want to love my congregation right, and I want to love myself right. And so I have these, these moments of clarity throughout my life where I have to step back and ask myself, okay, what God revealed to me about love five years ago is what I could handle about love five years ago, but what does he want to reveal to me now about love? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 through 25 gives us the four foundational laws of marriage. The four foundational laws of marriage. Can you hold, take that? There's nothing in it. I talked about the first foundational law last, last week. Today, I'm only going to get to the second foundational law. Next week, I'll talk about number three and number four, hopefully. Um, but Genesis 2, 24 through 25, let's read that. It says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. In these two verses, we see the four foundational laws of marriage, which, if we follow we have a 100% chance of thriving in our marriage. Last week, I talked to you about verse 24, and it said, that is why a man leaves his father and mother. And that was the law of priority, the law of priority. If marriage is not in first place, it's not going to survive. And if it survives, it will not be the marriage that God intends for it to be. Your marriage has to be above your career, your marriage has to be above your kids. Say it isn't so. 
Your marriage has to be above your finances. Your marriage has to be above your, your fears. Your marriage has to be above your ego. It has to be above your insecurity. It has to be above your abo the abortion that you had. It has to be above the rape that happened. It has to be above the absent father that you had. It has to be above all the history that you bring, the baggage that you bring into it. The marriage has to be number one. And anything that you place above marriage will be the thing that you leave marriage for. The law of priority. That was a great sermon last week. But I must move on because there's a second law. Verse 24 says, That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Some versions say they, the, the man leaves mom and dad and cleaves to the wife. Anyone heard that translation before? Leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. I know you married a mama's boy and sometimes you just want to, you want somebody to say, just leave and cleave, boy. Right? Leave and cleave. M Mom and dad are great. They're great. We should honor them, be grateful for them. There is a season of our life where we can't do life without mom and dad. They they do things for us. They set us up for, for success. However, when you say, I do, mom and dad are no longer in the first place. For those of you that are about to have kids that are getting married, I'm sorry to break the news to you. But you have to take a step back. If you want your child's marriage to succeed, that new spouse has to be the priority. The law of pursuit, cleave. What does cleave mean? The second law, the law of pursuit. You see, in the English language, we can't really understand this word cleave. We don't really have a word that fits it. I mean, I said last week or the week before, when I was growing up and I heard leave and cleave, I got a little embarrassed because I thought cleave was talking about cleavage. That's all that I knew. But we don't have a word in English that really matches what the Bible is trying to say. If, if you look in the Hebrew, cleave is debak, which means to catch by pursuit, to follow close, to pursue with all of your energy, to pursue with intention. So if you want to have a healthy marriage, if you want to have a marriage God's way, not only is it number one, but you've got to pursue her, pursue him with all of your might. You have to study them like they're an animal in the wild. What they like to eat, what they like to drink, what they like to wear, what they're thinking, all of the inconsistencies they have so that you can be a support to them, all of their fears so that you can champion them, all of the things about them so you can actually come alongside them and be a helpmate to them. You, you have to pursue your spouse's pursuit. Many of us... Um, I would say it's American culture, actually. Maybe that's too far, but I don't think it is. We have no problems pursuing. We are a people of passion. Are we not? If we want something, we're going to get it. If we want that sonic drink at half price and it's $3.58, we're going to get there by 4 o'clock happy hour ending because we want it. 
I mean, you can take a look at social media and see the, the hills that people die on every day. Stupid little things that they throw a fit about and they, they argue back and forth as if they're kids on a playground. And they make a big deal about it because they have to show their passion and pursue that they are right. We are good at the pursuit. The problem is oftentimes our pursuit is misguided. We have faulty pursuits. I came up with, and there are more, I'm not here to suggest that there are only two, but I came up with two faulty pursuits that I want to share with you. When Carrie and I were dating, she took her mom to a concert in San Antonio, I believe, somewhere south. And they went to a concert. I mentioned we were dating, right? She took her mom to a concert, and in the purple Camaro that she had, ah, that thing was beautiful. I was really honored to marry into that. And they went to the concert. It was late when they got out. And then Carrie's driving her mom home. And she's going faster and faster because she's tired. She's got to work the next morning. And she's, you know, going a little fast, if you know what I mean. She's speeding. She's going way too fast. And all of a sudden, lights are on behind her. She gets pulled over. And... He says, uh, ma'am, you're going awful fast there. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, I took my mom to a concert. I'm just trying to get back home. And he said, where do you live? I live in Austin. And he goes, you live where? Yeah, I live in Austin. Ma'am, are you aware that you are approximately 20 miles from the border? Yeah. So they thought this purple Camaro was racing to the border at midnight. Carrie was passionately pursuing home, but she was headed in the wrong direction. How many of us in the room, though, we just know we are headed in the right direction and nothing's going to deter us, nothing's going to stop us, and we are going full force. I'm here just to challenge our thinking this morning. Maybe we have faulty pursuits. Maybe the very things that you are passionate about this morning, maybe it's strangling your marriage. The first faulty pursuit is this. I would call it codependence. But we could define it as failing to trust Jesus to meet our deepest needs. Codependence, expecting other people to meet the needs that only Jesus can meet inside of us. We know that there are four basic needs that all humans have, every one of us. Acceptance, identity, purpose, and security. This morning, when you woke up, those four needs drove your behavior. They drove your thoughts. They, they drove everything about you. You are driven by those four things, whether you realize it or not, whether you're too cool to admit it or not, you are driven by these four things. It is, again, acceptance, identity, security, and purpose. Those, those are the deepest needs that we have as humans, and I'm here to tell you that no one can meet those needs but God. Acceptance. You know the feeling where you walk in the room and you feel uncomfortable and you're getting ready to go to the in-laws, you're getting ready to go to that company party, you're getting ready to go to that new whatever event, and you just want to be liked, you just want to be accepted. You want to be accepted, but you don't want to have to change anything and you don't want to have to perform to get the acceptance. I know, I understand what it's like. It would feel really good to be accepted everywhere. 
You ever thought about this though? Most people like you because of what they don't know about you. Think about that one for a moment. That's why when you look at your spouse, you're like, oh, I'm just so in love. You're so faithful. You're so consistent. You've stuck with me through thick and thin. That's because you know most people wouldn't. And all of the coworkers, all of the people that you see, that they just sing your praises and they think you're so awesome. They only think you're awesome because they don't really know all parts of you. I'm not talking just to you. I'm, I'm, me too. Like that's human nature. How many people would say we're so awesome if they knew every little detail about us? Not many. We want acceptance. But the God of the universe, who knows every little thought that you've ever had, Every decision that you've ever made, he says yes to you every single day. Amen. He accepts you every single day. He's not scared of your mess. Acceptance. The second is identity. It's really hard. I, I'm in a new season of life where my kids are now growing up. I mean, I'm a, I'm a granddad. Imagine that. And when your kids leave and you find a lot of identity in your kids, things shift and it's scary. When you have a job transition, a career change, things at work plummet, your bank account is dwindling and you have to make some hard decisions, it, it is scary if your identity is wrapped up in all of that. Our deepest need for identity can only met, be met by God. Revelations 2.17, it's a great scripture. It says that when you and I get to heaven, to those who overcome, they will be given a white stone with a new name on it. The real name that God knows you are, the name that defines your relationship with him. The Bible says... Only the receiver of the stone will know the name, meaning you get your own unique white stone that God has already planned that will define his relationship with you. How amazing is that? How amazing is that, that you're going to get to heaven? And for some of us who have been struggling with identity for all of our lives, the grace of God is going to rapture you away. And in an instant, you're going to be handed a white stone and it's suddenly going to make sense. Oh, that's who I am. And you're going to trust finally who God says you are when you hold that white stone. I don't want to wait to heaven to know what is written on that stone. I can know in the here and now what God says about me, what he thinks about me, what defines my relationship with him. Identity. If I'm trying to get my identity from anything else but him, it, it, it is fleeting. It, it will fail us every single time. This need cannot be met by your spouse, by the way. And I know if we think our spouse looks great and they exercise and they get muscles, or they've got this smile or this figure, this income, whatever it is, whatever we, we push off on our spouse so they make us feel better about ourselves, that identity doesn't last. The third thing, security. 
We're all looking for security. Come to find out it's one of the top needs of women, social psychologists would tell us. I would suggest it's the top need of all of humanity. God came so that we could find security. God showed up on the scene so we could stop wondering, are we in or are we out? Before this purpose. My purpose in life is not to be a great and handsome granddad, though I will be. My purpose is not to be a wonderful husband, though I, I hope, I hope to be. My purpose is not to be a fantastic dad that sends my kids off to this college or that college or helps them win this award or that award or this. I want to be a great dad, but I'll tell you, my only purpose is to be a son. When I find myself, my purpose in being a son of my father, everything else falls into place. And I know we're pursuing all of these things, which I'm trying to communicate to you. I don't know if you're getting what I'm trying to lay down, but what I'm saying to you is that all of these faulty pursuits, if we would just fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, if we will just trust him enough to go through the process and really believe Matthew 6, that says, my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Why are you trying to heal your own fields when all you got to do is surrender to him? Yeah. Failing to trust Jesus to meet our deepest needs. There are needs that need to get met in marriage. There are. It's just not the deepest needs that we have. It's really not. The, the greatest needs that we need met in marriage, I think someone said it this week at a conference some of our team went to by Dr. Don Litchie. Happy marriages do three things. They lay together, they pray together, and they play together. <laughs> not sure which one that was for, that word of affirmation. But you need all three. You need to lay together. You need to pray together. You need to play together. Those are the needs that as in marriage we need to fulfill. We need to lay together. We need, we need some physical needs met. Can I get an amen from everyone in the room? Amen. We need to pray together. We need some spiritual needs met. Can I get an amen? amen? That one wasn't as loud as the first one, but... <laughs> We need to play together. We, we need some emotional needs met. There are needs that we meet for each other, just not the deepest ones. And let me just tell you this. Any person that you expect to meet these four needs, instead of allowing God to meet them, it will ruin the relationship you have with them. You wonder why there's tension between you and this person? Check the expectation level. If you were expecting someone to give and fill a hole that they were never designed to fill, you were setting that relationship up for success and creating tension based only on the desires of your heart because you want it to thrive and be so good. The problem is they weren't made to fill those needs for you. 
Point number two, faulty pursuit. Codependence was the first one. This one is independence. Independence, making marriage into a contract rather than a covenant. I know our goal is to get our kids to be independent. We want them to, to brush their teeth and we want them to wipe their bums and we want them to take showers on somewhat of a consistent basis. We want them to learn what it means to get a job and to pay rent and to buy groceries and to cook food without burning a house down. We want them to be responsible, independent, how to change oil in a car, how to fill up gas, how to check your tire, change your tire. You know what I'm saying? We love independence, but let me just tell you, when it comes to marriage, a faulty pursuit, you can't go into marriage expecting to be fully independent. It will not survive. You can't be codependent, but you can't be independent. You must be interdependent. Covenant. Covenant rather than a contract. What does a covenant mean? Covenant literally in the Hebrew means to cut. You know, like a good piece of steak. To cut. That's a covenant. You don't make a covenant. You cut a covenant. This is why when God created Adam... He formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. When he formed Eve, he didn't form her out of the dust. He had to cut Adam. Because covenants made, are made out of cutting. Why? Because cutting is sacrificial and it is permanent. Contracts, those bad boys, they are superficial where I protect my rights and I limit my responsibilities. I go into the marriage saying, this is what I will do, this is what I will not do. This is what you will do, this is what you will not do. That's not a marriage, that's a contract. A marriage is a covenant. A covenant is whenever you say, I surrender my rights and I assume responsibility. feel like I'm about to come out of my skin. I don't know why. I'm so excited about what the Lord is doing in this room. I feel like he's mending some marriages in this room today. Hebrews 13:4. What did God do the moment that you said yes to him? Hebrews 13, 5, verse 5. He says, I will never leave you. Never will I forsake you. The, the moment you say yes to Jesus and you encounter him, his promise to you is I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. What does that mean? I will never leave you. I will never physically leave you. You will never find yourself in a valley that God can't see. <laughs> Take it a step further. You will never find yourself in a valley where God doesn't direct the airflow. But he also said he'll never forsake you which means I will never turn my heart away from you. That's a big promise from a God who knows everything about you. Every decision that you've made, every nightmare that you by your own hands have created, every foul word that you have ever let slip out of your mouth, every, every curse against your neighbor, everything that you have done, he says he will never let his heart Turn away from you. He's not a God that chooses to get his pillow and blanket and sleep on the couch. That's what covenant looks like. This is, this is what it looks like when God says yes to you and you say yes to him. Like you can't outrun him. 
You can't out-be bad him. That's covenant. Covenant language. I'll be saying some of this on Saturday when I perform a wedding. You've heard it. You've heard it before. It's covenant language goes something like this, for better, for worse. In sickness, in health. For richer, for poor. Some of you are like, can we, Lord, just get some richer, richer. A <laughs> little more of the richer than the poorer. Till death do we part. That's covenant language. That is a tall glass of water. <laughs> is that your reminder to drink water? <laughs> that's, that's amazing. <laughs> Man shall not live by bread alone. <laughs> Drink your water, girl. Ushers, get the waters. Get the girl some water. <laughs> covenant language. Covenant language. But you, you want to know what contract language sounds like? Living together. What's wrong with living together? Well, it's 100% contractual. It's not covenant. There's nothing covenant about it. It, it. It's the mentality, the contract mentality says this. It says, I'm not ready to commit. Let's just move in, play house. Let, let's see how this thing goes. Let's see if you can meet my needs. Oh, the greatest thing ever. When did this roll around? I don't know. I'm not old enough to know exactly. Probably 20 years ago, rolled around where people were shacking up just so they could see if they were a sexual fit. You kidding me? Like, I know when, the sad thing is we're, we're, like, way beyond that now in our generation. We're, we're beyond that. We shack up just because it's cheaper to pay one mortgage, right? It's not even really purposeful. But what, what I would say to you is that that's just a contract. The, the problem with that is if he doesn't perform, she doesn't perform, you're out. And that's not what God does for us. So how can that represent anything? How, how can it do anything with his relationship to us? He doesn't say, I'm, I'm going to let you become a Christian, but I'm keeping my eye on you, Dylan. I'm going to see how good you can be. I'm going to see if you make me happy. I'm going to see if you do what I tell you to do. I'm going to see if you show up the church. I'm going to see if you pay your 10%. God doesn't do that. He said yes to you, all of you, the good, the bad, the ugly, the richer, the poor, till death do you unite. He said yes to you. And so the contract language, I understand that it's, it's convenient, but I'm here to tell you that I'm, I'm really glad that I serve a covenant God. This says I'm all in and I know it's going to hurt. I know I'm going to get cut because of you.
four points that I still want to get to you. I want to deliver to you, but I'm, I'm scared to miss what I feel like the Lord is saying to do right now. Is I feel like in this moment, there are people that want to come home. There are people that want to say yes to Jesus. You've realized that you have been serving a contractual God. You have lived in fear in your relationship with him, wondering if you're in or if you're out from this day to the next based on your own emotions. And you want to come home to him. You're hearing there's something inside of you leaping for joy because you're hearing maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time you're, you're letting it sink in that this is a covenant God. That when he says yes, he means it. And you're used to people running. I get it. I, I understand. But he doesn't. The only time he runs is when he runs to you, not away. So just to give that person or two some privacy, will you close your eyes for a moment? If that is you, if that is you, You're ready to say yes to Jesus. Don't even lift your hand. Just, just lift your, your head and make eye contact with me if that's you. You're ready to say yes to Jesus. Make sure I see, I see you. Thank you. I see you. Proud of you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in the room. God, you're making yourself so, so known in this moment to so many people in this room. I just made eye contact with, I don't know, five or six people that just stared me down with such conviction and dedication and commitment. God, they want you. They are ready for you. They, they are running. They are running towards you. God, I thank you, God, that they don't have to perform for you. They're saying yes to you in this moment. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just step in. Step in. Begin to, to wipe away our, our thoughts of you, our, our plans of how we think you can use us, our plans of who you are and, and what you have for us. Holy Spirit, do a work the Bible says that in this moment, when we ask you to come into our heart, that we move from death to life. There is a very real resurrection, a spiritual resurrection that is happening among us in this room. And Holy Spirit, I feel your presence right now. I thank you, God, that they are going from death to life. In the name of Jesus. God, your, Bible, your word says that if we just confess with our mouth that Jesus is, is Lord, that he died for our sins, and that he is the son of God, that we will be made new. So in the room right now, everyone, especially those who made eye contact with me, but everyone in the room, if you'll just join me in this simple prayer that's not a formula, but we're just saying yes. Say, dear God, I say yes to you. I know that I'm a sinner. And I desperately need a Savior. 
know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Jesus Christ. And I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. He rose again. And I believe that I can live a great life here and now. Not just when I get to heaven, but here and now. I say yes to you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we just celebrate? Celebrate. Well, now I'm really conflicted. I had four really great points. But nothing better than the moment we just encountered. Amen. Let me, let me, uh, let me pray for you. Father, I just come before you. Thank you so much for our time together. I thank you. <laughs> the enemy is so mad right now. <laughs> God, I just thank you that we already know the end to the story. We know the end to, to every circumstance, every situation, every marriage that is struggling here today. God, we already know the end. We thank you, God, that you know the end from the beginning and you right now are just setting our feet in the right direction. God, you are realigning us. You are helping us to shift our priority and, and giving us pursuit with purpose. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.